Hello, everyone, and welcome to the June 24th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm David Jimenez with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled that federal regulators can challenge deals between brand-name drug companies and generic rivals that delay cheaper medicines from going on sale, which regulators say increase costs to consumers by billions of dollars. But the court, in a 5-3 vote, declined the Federal Trade Commission's request to declare the deals to be presumptively illegal. The regulatory agency has fought the pay-for-delay practice for more than a decade. Solve Pharmaceuticals Incorporated sued generic drug makers in 2003 to stop the sale of cheaper generic versions of its drug Androgel. In a settlement of the lawsuit, Solve paid as much as $30 million annually to the generic drug makers to help preserve its annual profits from Androgel, estimated at $125 million. Under the deal, the three would keep their generic versions off the market until 2015. The patent expires in 2020. Generic drug makers like the pay-for-delay arrangements because if they bring out their products before patent infringement litigation is over, they run the risk of paying triple damages on sales if they are found to have infringed. The FTC filed a lawsuit against the companies in 2009, arguing that the companies had simply split up Solvay's monopoly profits and prevented the generic firms from bringing out a cheaper version of the drug. The FTC lost at the district court level, and that loss was affirmed by the 11th Court of Appeals. The Supreme Court overturned the appeals court ruling and sent the case back to the lower courts for further proceedings. The WCAB reversed an award of benefits to a former NFL player in a hotly contested jurisdictional case. Here's what happened in the case of Wesley Carroll versus the Cincinnati Bengals. Former NFL player Wesley Carroll claims for California workers' compensation benefits initially were tried in 2008. The Bengals established at trial that applicant was hired outside of the California and that he was only temporarily in California doing work for the Bengals when the team played one game in the state in 1993. The Bengals further showed that under the workers' compensation laws of the state of Ohio, it furnished workers' compensation coverage that covered applicants' employment while in California. Ohio law recognizes the extraterritorial provisions of other states, including California, and likewise exempts out-of-state employers and employees who are temporarily doing work within Ohio from the provisions of its workers' compensation statutes. The WCJ found that Carroll incurred cumulative industrial injury to numerous body parts causing 46% permanent disability and a need for future medical treatment. The WCJ further found that although under some circumstances Labor Code Section 3600.5b exempts temporary employees who are injured while on assignment in California professional football players are not temporary employees. The WCJ reasoned that a professional football player in the NFL regularly engage in employment away from their home city and state. Typically, each NFL team only plays one half of the regularly scheduled games in their home city. The other half are played in the various other states and cities, including California. The WCJ therefore concluded 
that Mr. Carroll's employment with the Bengals while he was in the state of California was regular employment outside of the exemption of Labor Code Section 3600.5A. The appeals board disagreed and reversed the finding in the in-bank decision of Carroll versus Cincinnati Bengals. It ruled that Carroll was indeed a temporary employee and the Cincinnati Bengals were exempted from the provisions of the California Workers' Compensation Law. The labor code exemption applies when the employee was hired outside of California and all of the following conditions apply. One, the employee is temporarily within California doing work for the employer. Two, the employer furnished coverage under the workers' compensation or similar laws of another state that covers the employee's employment while in California. Three, the other state recognizes California's extraterritorial provisions and Four, the other state likewise exempts California employers and employees covered by California's workers' compensation laws from the application of its workers' compensation program. And now our fraud report. A former Oxnard police officer was sentenced to 120 days in Ventura County Jail after pleading guilty to two counts of felony workers' compensation insurance fraud. In 2009, 28-year-old Edward Educas told his supervisors that he had hurt his back while he was bending over in the police locker room. An investigation was launched after authorities were tipped off about his claim. Investigators learned that Educas was playing baseball on a weekly basis while he was out on disability. Surveillance video showed Educas engaging in prolonged physical activity without any sign of pain or discomfort. During this time, Educas told his doctors and physical therapists that he was too disabled to go back to work with the Oxnard Police Department. He pled guilty to two counts of workers' compensation fraud. He was given some jail time and ordered to pay nearly $121,000 in restitution. He no longer works for the Oxnard Police Department. And in regulatory news, the DWC has issued the notice of public hearing on the new resource Based Relative Value Scale or RBRVS Based Physician Fee Schedule. The hearing is set for July 17th in the auditorium of the Elihu Harris Building at 1515 Clay Street in Oakland. Members of the public may also submit written comments on regulations until 5 p.m. that day. Senate Bill 863 directs DWC's Administrative Director to adopt the physician fee schedule based upon the federal RBRVS used in Medicare payment system. In the RBRVS-based system, relative value units interact with payment ground rules and the conversion factor to determine the maximum fee in light of the resources to provide the service. Despite OVERPEC, acting and his administrative director expects to see many costs saving and efficiency benefits from adopting the RBRVS-based fee schedule. And the benefits will be enhanced by adopting the schedule prior to the default fee caps that will automatically apply on regulation if a regulation is not adopted. Adoption of conversion factors in the regulations improves accuracy over the default fee caps as the proposed conversion factors were derived by RAND with updated and more representative data. 
Cal OSHA has issued citations resulting in fines of nearly $95,000 against UK-based Menzies Aviation, a contractor at Los Angeles International Airport. Menzies Aviation provides baggage handling, cargo and cargo forwarding services to airline clients at more than a dozen major airports in the country. SEIU union officials said that Cal OSHA found the alleged violations during an investigation. Claimed violations include an inadequate safety guard on a high-lift industrial truck and a failure to train workers on how to properly handle hazardous substances or properly store hazardous substances in warehouses on airport property. Menzies also was cited for faulty electrical equipment and for failing to keep an oxygen cylinder safely separated from a fuel gas cylinder. A regional manager for Menzies in Los Angeles said the company had no immediate comment. And in medical news, a new CWCI study says that opiate painkillers accounted for about 7% of all outpatient drugs dispensed to California injured workers over the past two years, consuming nearly 20% of California workers' compensation outpatient prescription dollars. A spike in the use opiate analgesics such as oxycodone, morphine, and fentanyl started about a decade ago, and the most dramatic increase occurred between 2005 and 2008, when use increased from 1.4% to 5.4% of injured worker prescriptions. That growth continued at a more moderate rate from 2008 through 2010, at which point Schedule II opiates hit 6.9% of all workers' comp outpatient scripts and 19.7% of prescription payments. The new results indicate that since then, Schedule II opiates have showed little change, hovering around 7% of workers' compensation prescriptions and 20% of the prescription dollars for the past two years. Whether use of these narcotics to treat injured workers will continue at this level remains to be seen, and a number of factors could affect the trend. For example, a current bill, SB 809, now before the Assembly, would fund the state cures prescription monitoring program and require those who dispense Scheduled II opiates to report to the Department of Justice whenever they fill a prescription for these meds. A more robust cures database and more user-friendly program could help curb abuse and doctor shopping. Mayo Clinic researchers found that nearly 70% of Americans are on at least one prescription drug and more than half take two. And 20% of patients are on five or more prescription medications. The study found that antibiotics, antidepressants, and pain-killing opiates are most commonly prescribed. Since the second most common prescription was for antidepressants, Mental health is a huge issue in our country. And the third most common drugs were opiates, which is a bit concerning considering their addicting nature. Drugs to control high blood pressure came in fourth and vaccines were fifth. The statistics are comparable to those elsewhere in the United States. Drugs were prescribed to both men and women across all age groups except high blood pressure drugs, which were seldom used before age 30. Overall, women and older adults receive more prescriptions. Vaccines, antibiotics, and anti-asthma drugs are most commonly prescribed in people younger than 19 years of age. Antidepressants and opiates are most common among young and middle-aged adults. 
cardiovascular drugs are most commonly prescribed in older adults. Women receive more prescriptions than men across several drug groups, especially antidepressants. Nearly one in four women ages 50 to 64 are on an antidepressant. Prescription drug use has increased steadily in the U.S. for the past decade. Regenerative medicine is a process of replacing or regenerating human cells, tissues, or organs to restore or establish normal function. The, this field holds the promise of regenerating damaged tissues and organs in the body by replacing damaged tissue and or by stimulating the body's own repair mechanisms to heal previously irreparable tissue or organs. Regenerative medicine also empowers scientists to grow tissues and organs in the laboratory and safely implant them when the body cannot heal itself. Importantly, regenerative medicine has the potential to solve the problem of the shortage of organs available for donation compared to the number of patients that require life-saving organ transplantation. Depending on the source of cells, it can potentially solve the problem of organ transplant rejection if the organ cells are derived from the patient's own tissue or cells. And this technology is advancing at a pace much faster than one would think. A panel of scientists and legal experts appointed by the government in Japan has drawn up a recommendation that will form the basis for a new guideline for Japan's world-leading embryonic research. Scientists plan to introduce a human stem cell into the embryo of an animal, most likely a pig, to create what is termed a chimeric embryo that can be implanted into an animal's womb. That will then grow into a perfect human organ, a kidney or even a heart, as the host animal matures. The organ will then be harvested and transplanted into a human with a malfunctioning organ. At present, the Japanese guidelines permit scientists to develop chimeric embryos in laboratory conditions for a maximum of 14 days, but the next stage in the process, the embryos being implanted into an animal's womb, is prohibited. As soon as government officials agree on the details of the revised guidelines, a process that is expected to take 12 months, the first pig carrying a human organ can, can be produced quite quickly because the technique has been established already. The scientists plan to initially breed a pig with a human pancreas as it is a relatively easy organ to create. And perfecting the technique will bring relief to millions of people with diabetes. Creating kidneys and a human heart will be far more complicated, but is ultimately feasible. Practical use for the organs may be as little as five years away. Eventually, they can have numerous human organs within each donor animal that can be harvested all at the same time. FDA approvals of new drugs last year are at the highest level since 1996, after years of disappointing research and development productivity. But the Pharma Futures think tank report says that pharmaceutical companies need to boost the benefits of drug research by working with regulators and healthcare providers to overhaul the way medicines are approved and paid for. This would allow investors and drug companies to benefit from earlier cash flows, reduce regulatory risk, and less, un less uncertainties over whether drugs will be paid for. The think tank has the backing of investors such as Fidelity Worldwide Investment, JP Morgan, as well as drug makers like GlaxoSmithKline and Johnson & Johnson. 
Pharma futures, officials see opportunities for regulatory change as governments seek to overhaul healthcare and get better value. In particular, regulators should have more flexibility to take into account evidence about a drug's effectiveness as it is rolled out and used. At the same time, the industry needs to move away from ideas of a fixed price point for medicines to a system where prices are adapted according to changing perceptions of the value of a medicine based on how it works in clinical practice. On both fronts, there are signs that industry and regulators are starting to change. The FDA, for example, recently launched a program to accelerate life-saving therapies designated as a breakthrough, opening, to door, opening the door to earlier approval based on quicker studies where clinical data is compelling. The European Medicines Agency also has a scheme to allow conditional approval based on good interim clinical trial results. While Britain currently plans to introduce a system of value-based pricing for new drugs in 2014, although details of this measure are still awaited. And in other news, this month workers' compensation insurance executives gathered in San Francisco alongside public policymakers and other industry stakeholders to attend the WCARB annual workers' compensation conference. The conference agenda included two speakers well-known to the workers' compensation industry, David DiPaolo, founder, of president, founder and president of WorkComp Central, and Dave Buleski, executive vice president and chief actuary at the WCARB. David DiPaolo kicked off the morning session with a discussion of the role of the media in a, in a healthy workers' compensation system. As a frequent blogger and founder of an online news outlet, Mr. DePaulo has a unique first-hand view of the role that new and traditional media plays in our society and the workers' compensation industry. Following Mr. DePaulo's presentation, the WCRB's Dave Buleshi discussed the latest workers' compensation industry results and made the following observations. California, written premium, continues to grow at a double-digit rate due to increases in average rates and total payroll. Average insurer rates have increased sharply in 2012 and 2013. After increasing in 2010, indemnity claim frequency has remained relatively flat, while claim frequency in other states has declined. Claim severity trends are moderating, however. Pharmaceutical costs continue to increase sharply. Expense ratios declined in 2012 with increasing premium levels and the loss adjustment expense severity trend is moderating. The accident year 2012 combined ratio decreased significantly in 2012 but remains above the national average. SB863 is estimated to moderate claim costs in 2013 and beyond and WCARB will continue to actively monitor the impact of the bill as data becomes available. In the afternoon session, WCIRB President and CEO Bill Mudge moderated a panel discussion entitled SB863, A View from the Front Lines. Each panelist offered attendees his or her view of SB863 based on their direct experience implementing the law. Well, that's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. 
And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. And drop by again next week for more news.